Welcome to the Back to Square Kwan podcast with your host Chong and Kedrick. This is a podcast where we will have conversations about training, nutrition, and philosophy, taking you back to square one. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Today is a very special episode because we have uh, one of New Zealand's most premium powerlifting coach, um, uh, Jason Clark, representing Auckland, APA, North Shore Barbell. And Jason is also both Chung and I's coach. So he has the pleasure or the displeasure to handle <laughs> our, kind of like our powerlifting programs. So yeah, uh, I said a little bit about you, Jason, but whatever I left out, maybe what maybe you want our audience to know a little bit more about you. Uh, feel free to share uh, a little bit more about your background. Um, how do you end up doing powerlifting coaching? Uh, I know that you had some kind of like history in rugby and maybe you can talk a little bit more about like your current career and stuff like that. Oh, firstly, thanks guys for having me on. Much appreciated. I'm uh, looking forward to listening to some of these episodes. I'm sure um, sure the Quans will be doing a good job of it. Um, so yeah, I am, I guess, a full-time powerlifting coach, uh, if that's a real thing. Um, but yeah, that's what I do as a job. Also am a part owner of North Shore Barbell, which is a powerlifting yeah, it's a powerlifting club. I almost said powerlifting and strength club, but it's basically just a powerlifting club on the North Shore in Auckland. Um, I am a part owner or a co-owner in that with Joel Larter, who I think you guys mentioned you might get on here at some point. We will. Um, so stay tuned for that. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's what I do. I uh, basically predominantly coach online, but coach people in person as well. And I've been doing that full-time for over a year and a half um so like as my sole source of income but outside of that i've been coaching powerlifting and in in i guess in a paid fashion since about 2017 probably late 2017 so still fairly new to the game but i've um, been lucky enough to take on a decent amount of clients in order to sustain a, an income in this um high rent north shore living <laughs> um so yeah, I uh, originally like, like I'm been working in the fitness industry since I was 20, 20 or twenty one, so almost ten years now. I'll be thirty this year. RIP. Um, the big thirty. RIP to my twenties. <laughs> yeah, no, don't don't talk about it. Um, so yeah, I was started off just working in the gym, um, basically working on the desk, taking people through programs, and then evolved into personal training. At that point, I was like, man, I don't know anything. Uh, can I swear in this, by the way? Yes, yes. <laughs> or is that feel, advising? Feel, feel free okay. to swear all you want. We'll put the explicit on the Okay, basically, I was, like, I was like, I know fuck all. Uh, I need to go and study some of the shit. So I went and studied and only really realized that I know even less than I thought I knew in the first place. So that, that's uh, what a bachelor's degree does to you. Basically just poses more questions. Um, so I, I basically worked as a personal trainer and studied at the same time. And then once I, once I graduated, started the coaching business and was doing a bit of both personal training slash working in a gym and um, coaching, and then just kind of worked my way into full-time powerlifting coaching. So I've been in the industry a while. Um, 
I guess like almost 10 years is not too bad considering a lot of people don't last in fitness. Yeah, I think the average, I don't know, like I think the average is sort of like six months, a year, I think. Um, yeah. At least, at least for out personal here training, especially. Yeah, at least for personal training in New Zealand. So, I mean, you've been in it for a while. So surely you're doing something I, I, right. I haven't really, <laughs> yeah, I haven't really ever had another job apart from like I delivered pizzas and I worked in a bar for a couple of years. <laughs> there you go. Clearly he's doing something right. So, some might argue that's much more of a real job compared to what you're doing. right. Now. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. think, I think that is very true. Um, definitely, definitely harder. Definitely. Well, I guess, you know, being a coach yourself, there's obviously a lot of controversy, especially you being jumping on as a coach in this era where essentially information is always going to be quite overloaded, especially in social day and age of social media, Google and all that kind of shit. And I'm sure that especially the clients or athletes, as we like to call them, um, that you coach, let's just say that they aren't your regular personal training uh, folk. You know, they, we, or at least myself or Kedrick are one of those examples. We would go out of our way to find information that might help us to eke out certain performance um, improvements, even if it's 1%. And I guess my question here for you is um, on some cases, and I think I remember this very clearly, uh, this was last year when coming off nationals, my pick wasn't in a very right place. And um, I think you gave me, I can't remember, pin press or some shit. And I said, Jason, look, um, I wanted to do tempo bench. And you said, yep, if that helps with your pain, go for it. Um, and I'm sure you would have this conversation with a lot of other clients as well. So I guess the question here is, you know, where where do you draw that line in the sand to allow your clients' inputs to influence the way you coach or the way you program? Like, because obviously we know that there's a right way and a wrong way. Well, I say that context, there's a better way and a shittier way, but mm. maybe the clients pitch a shittier version of it and say, I think this will work. Mm. How do you go about that as, as someone who works with this level of clientele? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Like, I think my process there has definitely developed over time um initially like you'd write something up you build a program you're very proud of this program and then you kind of pose it to the client or the athlete as you call them i don't refer to uh, i don't refer to my uh, clients as athletes by the way I, I coached rugby league for like six years those those people are athletes <laughs> hey, hey. Uh, I, yeah well so. it's a sport it's a sport <laughs> <laughs> i mean like, like define athletic but anyway uh yeah that, that aside um yeah basically you would like, like i would kind of design it and then the person would come back to me and be like oh, i really hate this exercise and i'm like but there's like so much theoretical underpinnings as to why i put this in there like i really think it's gonna help and then they'd be like no nah, i fucking hate it <laughs> and then like my ego would be like I hate you. Like, just do the damn exercise. 
but I think over time I I kind of actually just got sick of having the argument. So I was like, sweet, whatever. Fuck it. You can do whatever you want. Go for it. I don't think we should do this, but let's do it instead. Um, but I think like, you know, in a more serious note, like I think there is a pretty a pretty big benefit to allowing that level of autonomy from the client. Like you've got to put it in context though. Like if it's like, like, oh man, I hate doing front squats because everyone hates doing front squats. And they're like, can I just do leg press instead? I'm like, okay, well, I think you should be doing front squats because maybe there's a little bit more postural gain that we can get from it. But at the same time, while we're still working the legs, working predominantly the quads. So is there going to be a massive benefit from doing front squats over leg press if they really just don't enjoy it? Like, is that enjoyment that they get from doing the leg press over doing the front squat, does that outweigh the potential theoretical underpinnings of why I've prescribed the other exercise? So it's like, sometimes I'm like, no, that's a dumb exercise. Like we're not doing that. But a lot of the time it's like, okay, maybe have a conversation of like, why do you think you want to do this instead? Uh, they're like, well, it hurts my wrists and, you know, hurts my clavicle. And, you know, it just basically feels like it's suffocating me. And at that point, I'm like, sometimes I'll be like, try it. And if they come back and it's like, nope, still hate it. Then it's like, okay, let's just try this instead. And then they go, oh, thank you. And then, you know, all of a sudden enjoyment level is higher. Buy-in's a little bit higher they kind of feel as though they have to push on this exercise because you, they've been gifted it. And I think you just probably get a little bit more out of it. And, and I think, yeah, like the crux of it for me is like, are we going to get, and I think, you know, in reference to your example, pin press over tempo press or tempo bench, it's like they're very similar. You know, it's just a variation at the end of the day. So, it, you know, you've got to really outweigh, is, it, is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak? Um, and I think a lot of the time it's not. And, you know, that I guess kind of actually comes back to like personal training in a sense. Like, is it, is it worth them hating training to persist with this variation? Probably not. I don't know. Like, I would be interested to hear how you guys would deal with that situation. Well, I guess for myself, it, it is quite easy to kind of evaluate especially using proximity from competition as uh, as an indicator. So I would say that, yeah, if competition is coming, right, I would at least want you to perform the competition movement uh, with some frequency, you know. Uh, I'll be quite hard-pressed to say, cool, I've not even do the competition squat at all in my entire peaking block and go into competition, right? That doesn't mean that every single training day has to be a competition movement. If it's further away from competition, I tend to give the the athlete certain autonomy. And like how you mentioned, autonomy can be important because what the only caveat I would tell the athlete is that with autonomy comes responsibility, which means that you said you want this exercise. I want to see you put effort into it. You know, I don't want you to be that kind of athlete where you just said, uh, I'm sick of doing this. I just want to try something and just muck around. And literally every single week, you want you come with me, come to me with a different variation. You know, I'm like, dude, if you want to do this, I'm gonna give it to you. But you got to show me that you are gonna work hard with this exercise. You know, I think that uh, sometimes people, like you say, people can get really caught up on like, cool, I need to force this athlete uh, 
to do a certain movement. And behind, like, if I I would also try to read between the lines on why this athlete, like I said, doesn't like the movement, have the conversations with the athlete. Uh, perhaps, uh, like I said, maybe the athlete isn't performing it. Um, he he or she doesn't feel like he's moving enough weight on it because the exercise is so self-limiting, you know? So I said, cool, right? Maybe we can keep it in, but we can put it on like your tertiary uh, squat day. You know, it's not your primary, not, not your secondary either, right? You can be one of those days where you can push the other two squat days, things like that. So I think that there are strategies to kind of like speak to the athlete. And what I have done successfully in the past as well is to use another variation that is similar, but the athlete is kind of um, find it a little bit more palatable, right? And then slowly progress that athlete towards that exercise that you think has that theoretical underpinning behind it. And yeah, it's just like uh, giving a variation that's similar, but not as punishing for the athlete by itself. Yeah. Yeah, So what you can do is if they don't want something like a front squat, you say, okay, you can do front squats or you can do something worse. And then they're like, yeah, you okay, can't, yeah, you kind of, you kind of like psychologically <laughs> like anchor front squats yeah. to something like, I don't know, fucking six by 12 on belt squats. Six, or some shit. Second tempo squats. Yeah. And, yeah, and exactly. it, it, it's kind of, a lot of, I guess, like that also comes down to how, how much we, how much buy in we want the athlete to have right like i think i'm I'm currently reading a book uh it's called conscious coaching by brett bartholomew i think that's how you say his last name that's a really good book by the way guys like if anyone wants to read up a little bit more the sort of the art of coaching uh, i only read i only read star wars um novels yeah i do that on the weekends as well but (laughs) i digress Um, only science fiction only science fiction of course foam rolling we'll touch on that a little bit (laughs) only science fiction sounds like west side barbell oh yes yeah that's a good segue because here we go shots fired we're gonna get sued but things like west side barbell right like i think like everyone goes into west side barbell thing like oh shit like two inch board press and like there's some people who really like it and some people who really, really just for the love of God, like hate it. I personally fucking hate it, to be honest. But I get like athletes coming in or I get people telling me, oh, like I really like this variation, even though it's literally like a one inch range of motion. And I think it will help my bench press. And I feel like that is yeah. some level of like self sebo into thinking like it will help them. I'm like, if it's not too close to competition, I'm like, cool, let's potentially chuck in like a two inch or three inch board. But then we'll, we might program like another day where you're just regular benching. And if we kind of see that your regular bench doesn't go up, but we've added a two inch board, maybe it's because like you are doing a fucking two inch board. It's not really helping your bench. And then the next cycle, you'd be like, okay, we'll take the two inch board out. We'll do close grip, whatever. And all of a sudden your bench goes up by like 10 kilos. You're like, well, lesson learned there. You wanted to try something which yeah. I let you try. You know, I gave you that autonomy. Clearly that didn't work out. Let's try it our way or well, my way. Let's see how it goes. I think like there's always this fine line on like getting them to buy in. And I think it's it's so it's sort of that line where they cross where they realize that 
they're not i hate to see i hate to use this phrase it's not that they're not as smart as they think but sometimes it's like even as coaches myself like myself and Kedrick, right that's why we have jason because sometimes we tend to overlook things that we think are good for ourselves and we can't think like oh this is really good but then we don't have that third person view and i think having someone in your corner is always going to be very beneficial to give that perspective on like that shit's just not working i'm going to be very honest with you like let's try something else i think um i think like as a coach as well you do need to be receptive and like open to those things actually working as well i've had instances and i'll give you an example a guy uh, actually i'll name him because fuck it sean like i was like i coached sean king a guy trains at north shore barbell and he, he was doing uh like deadlift stance box squats which is an exercise i would never go anywhere near it sounds very, and i was it just sounds like very he anti- was like anti jason <laughs> yeah exactly but he was like bro they work they're like i've done them before and like you know i really want to put them in the program and i was like you know what fuck it we'll just give it a crack see how it goes like you're not gonna he's not gonna hurt himself or anything and like they it actually seemed to work pretty well like bearing in mind we don't do them anymore but like at the time it was working and whether like that's because they were working the same range of motion as a deadlift but you know with the bar being on you know actually loaded as opposed to being in your hands and you know maybe you can theoretically move a little bit more weight and a little bit more legs who knows like at the end of the day it fucking works so we did it for like 12 weeks um and i was like okay well that worked now in my arsenal of exercises for sean there's that exercise so like just because i didn't think it was working or would work like it doesn't mean you completely write it off and like you know because you can look at any program and be like oh it was probably this not the deadlift stance box squats but we saw a progression and i had to be like okay i eat my words a little bit you were right they seem to work yeah, I think that is kind of like having some humility as a coach instead of like, a, a, like, dude, like, I am the premium coach. I know it all, you know. Uh, I do think that there is yeah. a give and take with, with, your, <laughs> with your athlete or the uh, people that you coach, you know. Although I, I've heard like some horror stories where, I mean, I, I work for like TSG and I've not, I've heard the stories, I've not experienced it, uh, where literally the person, all he wants is for this coach to be his coach by name, but literally wants to write the program by himself and essentially have the, like the coach say, oversee it and sign like so-called sign it off. Like, I mean, you have, you have the, that kind of athlete and then those are like, yeah, that, that athlete is probably a little bit on the far end. You know, I probably wouldn't want to coach someone like that. So at the end of the day, like, yeah, uh, TSG just dropped him as an athlete. Uh, the person shall not be named, but uh, I guess we all can, yeah, if you try to look look back a little bit on the social media and stuff, people might figure it out. But yeah, if they do, good on them. But I do think, you know, coming back to the conversation, you you having having that ability to communicate with the athlete is 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 like super important because I think that when you speak to the athlete and say, Oh, cool, tell me why do you think this will work, right? Or let me help me help me understand your thought process. I I guess for myself, I tend to be a little bit of a coach where like if i have an athlete that i have coached for a while and he or she comes to me with absolutely ridiculous idea i like to push back a little bit so to quote an example i 
I had an athlete. I said, "Cool, right? This we're doing a volume block, and uh, this athlete says that, 'Oh, I don't want to. I want you to increase the the load a little bit more because I feel like I haven't been hitting any uh, PRs.' And I said, 'What? Uh, this is a volume block.' So I said, 'You should probably uh, and we are preparing for comp, by the way. So it's not like we can just max out anytime we want. Uh, but we, I said, you should hit some volume PRs, right? And I said, uh, so what's a volume PR for you? And he said, oh, cool. Uh, I, 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 I did five thirty-five pounds for four on a deadlift. Then I said, yeah, cool. We are doing sixes now. So I said, if you hit around five fifteen, around for six, that will probably, it might ex- exceed five thirty-five for four. Then I said, dude, I already hit five fifteen for six. They said, yeah, I know. So isn't that a PR? And I said, nah, it can't be a PR because it's too easy. I'm like. Since when does <laughs> PR need to be hard, right? Like I'm like, so if I ask you to run 5k before your deadlift and you hit 515 for six, but still pull it, but at a much higher RPE because you ran, would that be a PR then? Because it's more difficult, you know. So like I like to try and challenge the thought process of an athlete, you know, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's good, you know, and not everything has to be hard all the time. So I guess like my question for you is you did mention uh, sometimes you just can't be bothered and be like, yeah, you know, just do what you want. But when have you ever had athletes where you know you can like really challenge them or at least change their mindset? I think that some of my athletes that come to me, especially the ones who are younger, I said that cool. My role as a coach is to help you be a bigger athlete. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a psychologist, but sometimes a lot of the things happen in your, the change can would need to happen in your head as well. So I would probably challenge your mindset. So for your my question for you is that. When do you decide whether you want to challenge an athlete's uh, mindset when it comes to training, or when do you just let them be? Well, I think what comes to mind probably even before that is it's really important to ensure that you sell the structure to the athlete. Uh, damn it, I said it to the client. <laughs> Uh, so when, <laughs> nah. when, uh, when you are preparing a new block or when you are outlining a plan, I think it's really important to show them why it is this current structure, why we're doing this and sell it to them. Because if you don't do that and you don't kind of explain it, then I feel like that is when you are more likely to get pushback. Like if I'm just to, you know, say, uh, uh, like, you know, I'm just going to email you your program. Hey, mate, hey, mate, here's your program. Um, and then, you know, that you're doing five sets of eight on Monday and then 10 sets of eight on Wednesday. And you're like, why the fuck am I doing this? Like, there's no explanation around it. So I feel like when you have a good level of explanation, buy-in through that explanation and i guess conversation around why you're doing something you are probably less likely to get a, a level of pushback because they can see okay we're doing this because we want to achieve this so i can see how that would get there um to answer your question though um i yeah i i think it actually kind of comes down the same sort of route um, begging people to try things. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> another thing. Like, you know, like a lot of people are very sold on them only being able to do X or Y, or, you know, maybe they've done this exercise before. 
that has caused them an injury and you're like, I think this is a valuable exercise. Let's just try it again. When they're like, no, nah, it's going to injure me, you know, and we, you know, we know a certain exercise isn't going to injure someone you know, as long as you're not just going straight into maxing it out. So I think, you know, just being like, Hey, let's just try it out, see how it goes. Because once again, you need to exercise a good level of humility because maybe doing whatever protocol that you're doing, it might not even work. So if they are right, then that's once again, where you need to check yourself and be like, okay, maybe we should be doing a little bit more what they, um, what they want to do. Um, I actually had a good example of that with a, a, a lady that a, a woman that I coach um, where she was adamant that she should be kind of, well, she didn't really necessarily say it like this, but she was very adamant that she should be benching at a higher intensity and benching at a higher volume and basically just redlining the bench a little bit more. And I was like, you're going to fucking like this. Was this, And she kind of showed me what she'd done previously. And I was like, this is a gnarly ass like uh, program. And um, we had a little bit of an off season period. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's give it a crack. And um, she's gone great ever since. And now we basically run like RPE nines <laughs> or eight to nine, like on four bench days per week and like mm-hmm. slow bar speeds and everything. But she's been doing it for like over, well over a year now. And it just, she progresses and never has any issues. So I'm like, well, that's just an outlier. So she wasn't wrong in that. And, and it's, you know, you could, you could say, oh, well, maybe if she did a more optimal program, maybe she'd get more gains, but if it's working, you're going to stick to it. And, you know, it could be working because that's physiologically what works for her, or that could be working because she is so bought into the idea that that works, that that psychological benefit actually carries over to the physiological benefit. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 funny because it's like, especially when we get like a new client or coming off a major comp prep going into quote-unquote off-season or something which typically us powerlifters hate, aka volume or not lifting heavy. I think it's very important for, well, at least in, in some degree, to some degree, for the coach to kind of switch on that salesman, salesy, like very salesy approach and like try to really sell that idea of like, cool, we've done the work, you've peaked, you've PB'd, but I think it's going to be more beneficial for you to do this, this, this. And like you said, Jason, it's all about the buy-in. If they don't buy into the idea of the structure or the program, that's where I think a lot of that pushback in a more negative way. Like, I don't think pushback is bad. Like, it just means that the athlete is learning to be a bit more autonomous. But I think where if they don't get that buy-in, that pushback is going to be very much more of a negative type of pushback. And then it just fucks everything up. I think you probably have experienced this in the past. Like I'm sure, well, I have, I'm not sure about Kedrick, but um, you know, I've definitely experienced where I don't give them the appropriate level of buy-in. They're like, sweet. They go do it. They're like, mate, like this is shit. I'm like, but it's what it will work. They tell me no. And then it just goes downhill from there. And it's like, okay, cool. Let's scrap that whole idea. Let's come up with something new. Yeah. But, you, you know, you need to have that ability to be like, 
okay, shit, that didn't work. Let's move on from it. Because yeah, if you don't have if you've if you haven't created that buy-in, then it's like, okay, well, we need to figure out what you feel as though you should be doing and maybe make like a, a nice little happy medium there. Um I think it's the same thing and I don't know about you, Chung, but I'm sure Kedrick's experienced this in the past purely because of like the prestige around TSG. Um, it's like when you sign, sign, Jesus Christ, what am I talking about? It's like fucking NBA. Um, when you, you sign, sign up to the client, team, <laughs> you, when you sign a new client for a million bucks, um, no, it's like when you get a new client and like you don't really change that much. And I could see this happening with TSG because they have a very, um, very elaborate like spreadsheet and system. So you, you know, you give it to this person who's probably already pretty strong and probably in a good place to make gains anyway. And then, you know, four weeks in, they're like singing your praise and they're posting on Instagram being like, Kedrick TSG is a fucking magician. Four weeks and my squat's gone up, uh, you know, 20 kilos or whatever. And it's like, you know, because it's happened to me before and maybe not 20 kilos, but you know what I mean? People that I coach only go up on the bench anyway. Um, True. And like, <laughs> True. Um, and, and like you're like, you're sitting there being like, man, I really didn't do much at all. Um, I think you just, you know, you maybe saw a coach you liked, you took to that and you liked the system. Your coach gave a fuck. They cared. I think that helps a lot. And, you know, that was just kind of this, like, I guess, a nice little mix of things just to put you in a good position to make progress. Um, I don't know, Kedrick, what are your thoughts on that, man? 100%. I think the biggest thing is it's nice sometimes to be able to to take credit. But I guess, like you said, uh, on the social media, I'll take whatever credit I can get. It's good for business. But <laughs> but deep, deep down inside, it's like, cool. Like, yeah. So sometimes it's not even all that magical, you know, is you have the athlete uh, belief in your training. And I think being a coach who care, like you mentioned, is critical. You can write the most elaborate spreadsheets, but if you cannot send the program on time, right, no matter how sophisticated or let's say hypothetically, if this athlete performs everything to the T, this athlete would like gain 15% on the lift. No matter, And even if that results is like guaranteed, but if you can't send your program on time, the athlete's trust in you as a coach would diminish. And the athlete would be like, yeah, this coach probably doesn't even care about me uh, anyway. You know, so I'm just going to, yeah, I'm just going to go in the session and not really care. My coach doesn't care. Why should I, you know, I do think that having that mindset going into training uh, wouldn't be beneficial. So for myself, like there are certain things where I do as well. I cannot explain uh, what's happening, you know, and most of the time I would just like to say, right. Uh, my, my, my easy answer is like, cool, maybe your, your fatigue is less, right? That's why you're performing much, much better. Now you're like, <laughs> in a, you're like in a less stressful state of life. If I cannot explain something that is on my end, I would just attribute it to their end because they would ask me, why do you think this is happening? And I don't want to say that this is a magical formula that will work yeah. every single time. So I said, perhaps maybe something is going on in your life. That's really good. You know, and the last time when we were doing something or when you with the, with the previous coach, you were stressful, you know. I think uh, the outside factors for training is uh, plays a huge role, and people often do not give it uh, enough attention, right? I mean, training is like what you spend 
two hours. You know, sometimes if you train like a real powerlifter, four hours in the gym. I think um, I, wor- I think I worked out the math before. It's like in a week, if you're training like four times a week, two hours a week, that's about five percent of your week. <laughs> yeah. So like, if you really can look at uh, uh, the outside factors, and I think a lot of time that outside factor will be the athlete. You know, it depends as well. For me, the some there are certain athletes that they want their program. I have an athlete that uh, where he asked for his program in advance, right? The whole the entire block. But I told him this that I don't uh, coach this way. I give you a week by week. Uh, and then when you give me a feedback, I change it and make the progression weekly. But the athlete, just for uh, his own sake, he said he wanted the whole block. I said, cool. Are you fine if it's just me sending you uh, the same thing, but in different color? Because TSG, we have elaborate colorful spreadsheets. That's it. <laughs> then he said, yeah, sure. So I yeah, I literally just sent him the whole thing and everything was the same. And maybe the accessories, I just like progress accessories across five weeks. But the main lifts was literally like the same load or the same RP because I don't know what to change yet. And the athlete be like, yep, cool, right? And the athlete, after a while, the athlete said, oh yeah, this is all good. And the athlete make good progress, you know? And I also think that my role as a coach is also to kind of like help the athlete grow. If I think that this isn't the mindset the athlete should have, I'd be like, so you've you've done it your way, right? Are you open to try it my way? Just a like a little bit you know just a sprinkle you know and if the athlete says cool and if athlete is making progress and the athlete might come back and say oh cool i never knew that this could actually uh work or i didn't know that not being uh too obsessive about my training would actually bring me more gains you know because like all this like obsession outside training i mean come on with powerlifters we don't make a living doing this you know like you you shouldn't really obsess so much about your powerlifting training and sometimes it's way more like it's way more detrimental to your gains than you think when you're just stressing over something that actually doesn't require as much stress. We, I mean, Jason, you and I, we have this, we had this conversation before we, and I think pertaining to our initial, like the start of this episode, we talk about like how long someone can be in the game, you know? And I think what you would notice as well is the people that are really like obsessive and like, I need to be this at this age, I need to lift this X amount of weight. They usually don't last long in the sport. Uh, whereas, like, for some reason, like, people who are mediocre, I mean, uh, no offense to all those uh, people out there. I'm one of you. We we just, like, I've been training oh, yeah. for, like, I've been training I for, like... I think we're all... I think we all fall into the same boat. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe been, just below just below average, actually. I mean, uh, between the three of us, Jason, would you agree that Chung is probably the highest level lifter here, right? I, I was about to say that, yeah. I think yeah, Chung's so, got me on... Uh, Really good lift points. I could bring that up actually. I think the only reason I've got you in good lift points is because I've competed a little bit more than you. (laughs) Because I I, think you, uh, I think Jason, my good lift points about to go down. (laughs) I I, I think Jason, uh, in the past two years, the amount of competitions Jason and I combined is still less than you, Chung. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, uh, definitely. I should, yeah, actually, I could take that back. Yeah, because I do at least like two a year. So, (laughs) yeah, so. Like, like you see, I mean, like we, like I've been lifting for nearly a decade now. I'm not the the most, I'm not the greatest lifter. I just benched 140 kilos last week and that's uh, 12 and a half kilos increase in like two years since I got to New Zealand. And I mean, I, I some people are like, oh man, 12 and a half kilos in two years. What lousy progress. You I'm like, man, I'm that's like, awesome. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll take, take it. That. You know? I'll take it, you know? I'll and, take it. 
I, I guess just for uh, just for clarification purposes, my good love points is higher than Chung's. By, See, I told you. Or well, mine is mine is eighty-seven-seven or 87.69. Nice. And Chung's is eighty-five-three-eight. And there I won't embarrass go. you with yours, Kedrick. Yeah, it's probably below eighty. So yeah, <laughs> we'll 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 keep that at, uh, keep that information a little bit. Uh, <laughs> we'll keep that locked up. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, anyway, I, I actually. Uh, yeah, sorry, go on. No, I mean, I said, like, my, my question to you is also, like, how do you manage your athlete's expectation? You know, we talk a lot about managing mm. expectation as part of, like, longevity in the game. You know, I talk about that 12 and a half kilo bench press in two years and uh, 12 and a half kilo extra in two years, not benching 12 and a half kilos only in two years. Uh, that's quite sad. But how do you manage your athlete's expectation? Let's say if they go into a meet and they're like, Jason, I want to hit, I want to hit this amount, right? I want to do this. And you know, whatever they've done in training. Hasn't even reached close to that. What do you do then? Yeah. I actually, so I actually, I haven't really mentioned this too much to people, but I actually have kind of a a different take on the whole longevity and sustainable training argument, or it's not really argument, but topic. Um, To be honest, like if someone came to me and they wanted to train the house down, I would say to them, okay, how long do you reckon you've got, like, how long do you want to be in the sport? I would like, I've never really had to have this conversation, but if someone said to me, you know what? I just want to fucking go nuts for two years. And then I, after that, I don't really give a shit. I would be more than happy to oblige with that. I'd say, well, you know, if you go too crazy, obviously you, we, I wouldn't program anything that's like too ridiculous to the point where they would regress. But I don't like, I think this topic is really interesting because everyone thinks everyone wants to powerlift forever and like actually we're having this conversation in the gym tonight and will was like fuck i don't want to lift as a masters and like to me that <laughs> will fine. as a masters like, jesus <laughs> yeah but you know everyone has this like long game which is completely fine but not everyone wants to powerlift forever so like you know people look at say someone on social media and they'll go oh you know like he's just fucking pushing the boat out every week and like you know, in, in, in three years, I'll, I'll like to see where he is. Or they, you know, they refer to someone that has maybe dropped out of the game a couple of years ago and they'll say, oh, well, look where he is now. It's like, well, maybe he just wanted to do two years of powerlifting. Like maybe that wasn't his forever hobby, which is completely fine. I mean, how many hobbies have you picked up and fucking dropped off in the last 10 years anyway? Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I want to powerlift long-term, like it's my fucking income. So <laughs> it's kind of helps. Um, and, you know, I love it and I, and I have ever since I started doing it. But some people, I, you know, they may say that, but I don't think they really want to. But, you know, if someone flat out said to me like, hey, man, I don't want to, you know, I just want to go nuts and see what I can do. Then I think that's fine. Like you don't have to do it forever. Um, but just to kind of like answer your question in terms of getting people a little bit more in line with uh, like sustainable training methods. Yeah, I think you, you just you just got to kind of sell like the like it's an interesting one because the thing is with powerlifting and you know con- kind of contrary to what I just said is like the best way to get stronger is probably not just to absolutely flog yourself. Um so you know some people will be like, "No, nah, man, like push, let's push, push, push." And I'm like, "Yeah, but like just pushing and going mental doesn't actually kind of is not that conducive to actually getting stronger so kind of wrapping their heads around that is important um 
Yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think about that in terms of like sustainability and, you know, people that just want to go? Like, I, I think we, I think we as a community run off the assumption that everyone wants to do it forever. And I'm just like, what? Are you sure? Like, maybe some people don't want to do it forever. Yeah, I mean, like, I have a few clients who are powerlifters, but I also have clients who aren't, who aren't powerlifters. And I kind of always tell those who powerlift because it always appears that they're the ones who are more, quote unquote, for better or for worse terms, focused or, you know, they check in, they're more responsive. And I'm like, in the end of the day, like, if we take powerlifting away, what are you as a human being? <laughs> you know, like, and if you can't answer that question or if your identity is I am powerlifter and to the day I die, then I think from a longevity standpoint, that wouldn't be very healthy because what, what happens, if they, yeah. What if they say to you, look, I just want to go full noise powerlifting. I want to live, breathe, eat, sleep this shit for two years. Like, what do like what like are it's you, fun, you all it's good? funny like, it's I funny because i'm I all actually, good with that are yeah. people good with that it's funny because i actually had this conversation with someone exactly today <laughs> and they were like i want to powerlift for the next six oh, months good and i'm going to go back to bodybuilding i'm like cool but i also yeah, want to know like that's all good then i'm like that's all good but i also want to figure out like what is your purpose i guess like or like what drives you to continue to pursue going to the gym and you know lift weights and try to be healthy and you know like just be good like if you can't tell me the underlying reasons of why i do that then i you know like i wouldn't want you to use powerlifting as your main source of escape from reality because i think a lot mm -hmm. of like a lot of people get this idea like oh I'm, I'm hardcore i bleed i sniff ammonia like two hours in a gym this is you know my time i'm gonna get on the bar i'm gonna die under the bar i'm like cool awesome but what if you don't die under the bar what happens then <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like yeah. then it's that question like that in that internal debate of like oh shit like that is one part of i guess one's identity but i do feel like when you're a quote unquote again mediocre powerlifters out there if you if if powerlifting is the big bulk of your identity and you have to question that am i world class chances are you're probably not because and again honestly if you need to ask yourself am i world class you're probably not as a powerlifter because you know some people are just genetically born to powerlift <laughs> And some of us, like well, all three of us, we do it because we enjoy it. We know, well, at yeah. least I know I'm never going to be world-class. Yeah. But I enjoy it regardless. I guess, I guess like to tie it back in and I'll be quick here so you can talk Kedrick, but like to tie it back into like your question, Kedrick, and kind of going off what you're saying, Chong, is like, I feel that you can kind of get a, sense of the people that want to sense for the people that want to do it forever and they want to do it because it's their outlet and maybe some people just want to go nato with it and be the best lifters that they can i think like in terms of finding a sustainable approach and just kind of conveying training and feedback 
to those people who you are more like this person's going to be here for a couple of years and then they're going to give it up. Cause you can just kind of fucking tell with some people, I think the way I phrase that and like just the general buy-in to the training process with them is completely different to someone who I'm like very aware that this is their outlet. This is their hobby. And like, this is what they do to get away from their family. Uh, and like, this is what they do to have like downtime. The, 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 the conversations with, a person and B person are so different. And I think that's kind of like, maybe that's where I was going with that whole kind of delineating those two people. And I think you would approach both those people in many different situations in a different manner. Yeah. Because you can't just sit there to the guy that's he like he's 19 and he's actually, a, you know, maybe like a 90 good lift points, lifter and potentially going to win nationals and be like hey man you know we just need to like pull it back uh, i just want to kind of maybe drop some sets maybe drop a day of training because we want to like i want you doing this for the next 20 years and he's like man i just want to fucking i just want to win you know <laughs> i just want to be watching so i think like some people like yeah some people go under the assumption everyone wants to lift until they're 50 and i think the way you approach both those two people is um it's going to be quite different to be honest and, and, you know, it's funny because like, I'll say something to one person and then I'll say something to another person, like a different kind of, uh, I guess, mental approach or something like that. And then they'll talk to each other and like, Hey, but you told me this. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, Oh, well, it's kind of, you guys are kind of different. Yeah. That's why I write different so, programs yeah, for you know. and them. You know, I'm not giving you the same thing, you know? Uh, yeah. That's coaching. Right. So I guess my, the way I do it is just one, ask the athlete, what, uh, the goal of what what your goals are you know i think it's for me it's as simple as that and i would help you reach your goal if i think that that goal is something that's not like bad like i wouldn't if this guy literally say oh dude i want to go in and lift this weight so that like these five girls will sleep with me and i, I probably wouldn't coach you you know like that because uh like <laughs> that sounds awesome i, I mean <laughs> so, i mean like everybody have their like let's just say it's like massively conflicting with my principles, right? Yeah. Or like, dude, I'm going to like do this and then take all the roids, but like you tell everybody I'm an IPF lifter, you know, that kind of stuff. Like something that goes against my principles, I probably wouldn't uh, coach them. And, uh, but other than that, I'd say like, cool, if this is your goals, right? And if you want to do it long-term, this is how I think we can do it long-term. So if then they have pushback and then I'll just ask them, is this still your goal, right? Is this still your goal? I just would remind them and ask them, are your goals still the same from when we started? If they said yes, that's it. If you said yes, then this is the best approach. If you say no and you think this is your last rodeo, let's go out with a bang. Let's just do what we can, you know? Uh, and then I, I just said, cool, right? You know, we're going to push you really hard. So that there might be a higher uh, probability of this just because like, yeah, there's a lot of uh, a big increase in training load and all of that, you know, there are certain consequences that I did not account for are you okay to bear those consequences if it happens? And they say, yes. Uh, then I'll say, yep, let's do it. You know, I think as a, as yeah. a coach, uh, my role is not to tell the athlete what to do. If the athlete doesn't want to do powerlifting anymore. I mean, I have, I have uh, had athletes where like really successful, right? Really good. And then they like to switch spot completely. Sure. That they like, I'll be like, Oh, what? people out there will be like, yeah, what a waste, you know, haven't you to told the person that this athlete is like really, great I said, yeah but at the end of the day if the athlete doesn't want to do it you know he's not going to be great anymore because he comes in without he or she comes in with no heart to to 
for, for that. And my role as a coach is not to force you to do something, especially when you can't put, and especially when it doesn't bring you money, you know, uh, it doesn't yeah. like feed, feed, feed the, feed the it's family. It's not their job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, you're not their coach in the, in the sense of like, you need to get the most out of them to make revenue. Yep. And not like a professional sporting situation. Mm, yeah. 100%. So I guess uh, in that sense, we, we, we talked a little bit about uh, sort of like challenging the athlete and then, right. Like pushing them uh, to go beyond boundaries. And we also talk a little bit about holding them back. And I think all of this is very uh, kind of like important in, and when we mention longevity, it's quite hard to not mention about like health and injuries when it comes to lifting. And I think, this is a particular topic that Jason can probably go on till like 6 a.m. tomorrow. So, <laughs> probably. And I know that, I mean, I wouldn't call yourself a contrarian because at least not, I think in the the, the evidence-based field or at least the scientific field, you, you do ad- adhere quite well to those guidelines. But I think to the lay person out there who is a little bit more like, basing their pain or their injuries based on their personal intuition, you might seem like a complete contrarian. And it might sometimes also seem like, oh, this guy just wants me to do this. So like he can continue coaching me so he can make money. You know, I'm not saying that that is the case or I'm not even trying to imply that you have had athletes that make that sort of accusation. But maybe you can share a little bit, uh, uh, share your thoughts with us in terms of like athlete injuries or personal stories that, I mean, you don't have to name names, but personal stories of how you, how the athletes you've coached have gone through injuries, uh, how have you approached uh, training an athlete uh, through phases of injuries and stuff like that. I mean, I, I sustained an injury myself during competition uh, while working with you. If you want to share that as an example, uh, you I, I give you a full authority uh, and I won't sue you if you use, if you use my name. So, <laughs> it's yeah, on, it's on record anyway. So. Yeah. I'll pay you out, mate, for being a pussy. <laughs> um, nah, so... I kind of like, I've got a bit of a story here with this. So like there's, I guess, a, 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 a journey somewhat um, to like how I came about the current views that I have. And it, it's funny because like, you know, like I say a few things here and there and like, like Kedrick said, I literally speak more so to the evidence than, anything else um so like i think like you kind of see that and people think ah that's not what i'm used to and they're like ah this guy hates xyz but anyway i'll, I'll kind of go into like a bit of a, a story more than anything so funnily enough and this is something that i am not proud of but <laughs> back oh, when i first yeah okay i'm not proud of this mate but when i first started uh working in the fitness industry this is I'm just wondering if this is before power yeah this is definitely prior to powerlifting like i was all for passive modalities of recovery like mm. massage i can see where uh, this is going rolling. <laughs> yeah <laughs> cupping i i literally bought a like a box of foam rollers and I distributed them like I was selling them to clients and people that I knew because I thought they were the best thing mm, ever. Home rollers. So yes. Good. I even bought a cupping set because, uh, you know, I was into that shit basically. Um, so 
basically like that's what was happening i had even had these like little ball things that like it's like a hand massager like a and you, and you kind of roll it on your legs and stuff and it, i guess it kind I of works in the same sort of like sense a, yeah like this old folks ones but yeah. and i thought that was the shit man i was like yeah these like people are gonna buy this everyone's gonna be injury free this is the best thing ever um and then i actually because i was into that shit i actually did my like at AUT, you do like an end of year project. Um, so I was working with New Zealand Rugby League as like a um, a, a placement, um, and then you have to kind of implement a sort of project alongside like a uh, I don't know, it was like a fifteen thousand word paper about about this project. And the project that I did was like based around recovery. So I was like, okay, look, we're gonna you know put together because the idea was to put together like a resource for league players. So that they can utilize certain recovery me- methods. Um, so, obviously, being at uni, I had to actually search and find some efficacy for these modalities. So, I went on the journey of kind of going through that. And, like, I started searching recovery modalities, and like everywhere I went, it was like, this is no stronger than a placebo. This didn't help recovery. And, like, the things that were working were like active recovery and uh like uh uh, what do they call it like the repeated bout effect so basically kind of doing the same exercise in terms of recovery um and like i was like what the fuck like this stuff doesn't work like according to the literature and i'm like well why is there such a high like systemic use of these things like in a in a in in a like sporting or I guess just general setting, like a physiotherapy setting. And uh, I kind of read more into it, just was very confused at the time. Um, actually ran into the concept of uh, acute to chronic workload ratio because there's actually really good research in that, which a lot of people probably heard of. Um, in, in rugby league, that's kind of one of the places it started. Um, so I kind of went down that rabbit hole and i was like ah this actually seems like it helps so essentially like if you don't know what acute to chronic workload ratio is is it's basically the amount of training or efforts that you're doing and where that compares to like what you have been doing in a little bit more of a chronic sense so the classic measurement there is like calculating how much work you do in a week and comparing it to the prior three weeks uh so if that week that you did is way higher than what you have been doing then your chances for injury increase and if it's way lower actually your chances for injury increase as well so you need to find this like sweet spot where it's not too much higher or too much lower than the prior three weeks training i like the three week three to one week thing is just arbitrary that's just what they did to try and find an effect but essentially you don't want to be ramping up training intensity or volume too much too soon um, because you can or, or dropping it off massively because you can end up kind of injuring yourself. And mm. I'm sure you can understand how that stuff interplays. So I kind of went down that rabbit hole a bit more and I was just like, man, like all these things that I've been doing uh, haven't been working. So I literally stopped doing all that stuff, all that stuff myself personally, uh, stopped doing the foam rolling, stopped doing the cupping, stopped doing the massage and, Funnily enough, things like started hurting less. And like, obviously that's a anecdote. I understand that N equals one in that setting, but it was kind of in line with what the literature was saying. So uh, I was lucky enough to 
go like I found a very good I guess mentor in this area I don't really like that word that much but uh, a guy a go-to guy that was who would train at the gym that I worked at and he was very like clued in with this sort of stuff and basically he he would train at the gym that I worked at and I would pest him for like my whole shift and he would get no training done and we would talk about this stuff like for hours on end um and like you know he was like yeah man that's just like what the literature says and I was like shocked eh? I was like how how is this what the research is saying yet clinical practice and you know things that personal trainers etc are prescribing a complete in the opposite like i understand like if it's a placebo like that's fine it works but the narrative that people kind of sell with that is like you know it is doing xyz and to be fair once i once i kind of read that stuff there was a lot of like light bulb moments where i was like you know what like the reasons why I've been told that these things work, they've always baffled me. Like um, I remember I had acupuncture done once and I won't say where I got it done, but the the guy, I was like, okay, so like, oh yeah, you're putting it, you're putting needles in my ass. Like I was like, okay, well, what's actually happening here? And like the like physiology spiel that he went on for like five minutes, I was like, that doesn't even make sense. Like I have a basic understanding of physiology, but I was like, how does that even work? That's like, you just kind of confused me with physiology terms as opposed to like actually answering my question. Um, so like there was like a light bulb moment where I was like, you know what? Like now that I think about it, it actually makes sense that these things don't like physiologically do much. Like, you know, you're not actually breaking up the muscle tissue, you know, cause that was the whole thing, right? People like think you foam roll and you kind of, uh, break down the, the muscle tissue or whatever the fuck it is. And like, you think about it, like once you've read some of the literature, how, how you can't actually just break it down. You're like, actually that makes sense because if you went and ran into someone in a game of rugby league, you would probably die <laughs> if a foam roll is breaking down your muscle tissue. Um, so yeah, I guess like, I just was kind of like, holy shit, like that's really interesting. And why don't people know this? Because, you know, once again, working in rugby league, I came from a place of like, after a game, it was hot colds, uh, you know, before standards, a game, everyone's yeah. Yeah. yeah before a game, before everyone, before that. a game, everyone <laughs> straps up their shoulders, their ankles, you know, they're strapping tape. And I was always like, why the fuck are we putting tape on people? Like to me, that doesn't really make sense. Like what's tape going to be doing to help someone? Um, so I guess it kind of confirmed my bias in a way, like, you know, I, I strap people up for years and I, did all that sort of stuff. We did massage and hot colds and things like that. But I was always kind of like in the back of my head, I was like, oh, I don't really get why this is why we're doing this. Like physiologically, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, you know, and then just like reading the literature, it turns out, you know, a lot of it isn't physiological. It is sort of more mental and placebo-like expectancies from that sort of stuff. So that was kind of where I got with it. Uh, yeah, uh, I know that's a big tangent, like I said. <laughs> but I think that needed to he be needed, He needed um, to get it off and, his chest. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and ever since then, I guess I just kind of challenge like norms about that sort of stuff. Like, uh, and I think like I try to do it in a, in a positive way, you know, if someone comes to me and a, you know, they're kind of saying, oh, I need to foam roll or else I can't get under the bar or something. Like, I don't just be like, Oh, you're a fucking idiot. Why are you foam rolling? It's like, okay. Like how, what makes you think that, 
you know like how come you think that have you tried training without a foam roller and like how did that go and i think like i can't even remember your question kedrick but i think one of the things that i try and like my kind of i don't want to say goal but like my bias is towards increasing people's self-efficacy mm-hmm. so they aren't reliant on external implements to help them recover like i want people more than anything to understand that they can get through these things these pains these injuries on their own they don't need an implement to be able to quote unquote fix them you know yes going to see a physio is fucking great if you've got a good physio go to them and you know if they're going to talk you through it like i have great physios that are referred to like the guy that i talk about he works at aut refer people to him all the time jen uh jenny jewer down in canterbury uh cam andrews great physios yes they utilize some of that stuff but they understand it um i think that is good to have a relationship with someone like that but also going through your training experience your pain experience and understanding that like hey i don't need xyz to fix me i can actually get through this my body will kind of fix itself like if if i manage what i'm doing and kind of learn from where i went wrong i can actually get through this and i think that's like that's what i would love to do and you know it's worked for a lot of people i know you know people start foam rolling they kind of get over it and then doing all that sort of stuff and then they kind of realize that you know they don't need to worry about that stuff too much and it actually kind of falls in with what you said kedrick around just not stressing about things outside of training because then, you know, you don't realize that you you don't have to foam roll 45 minutes every night before you go to bed and it can actually, you know, yeah, you know, and and then you can just chill out. You can play video games or you can hang out with your dog. These are things that I do that I could be foam rolling, but now I get to do instead. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, big tangent, but self-efficacy is key. People need to trust their bodies. A hundred percent. Well, I don't know. What are you guys thinking about that from an outsider's perspective? I, yeah, Kedrick, you go. I mean, I I have a similar story as well. I used to be one of like those on those bandwagon, uh, becoming a supple leopard, Kelly Starrett, whatever, you Mm, know. Good old Kelly Starrett. This is really selling myself here. I had a subscription to Ability Wad. Consider that. I was too cheap. So I just bought the book on Amazon. When it was you on bought? I, I don't want to say how I got it, but yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I was like on, on, on that side of the fence as well. I, I guess for me, you know, it's like my approach for all the people I coach is like, what do I do for warm up? I'm like, cool. We have like TSG, we have this library of warm ups to sit. If you feel tight, just like maybe you sit down the whole day, just like do one or two drills you shouldn't be spending more than five to ten minutes on it and then just get under the bar and yeah like more most of the time people feel like they need to do it i'm like yeah if it feels good spend like this x amount of time you know and i do think that uh letting people feel good when they go into training uh might have a placebo effect but when it comes to me when it comes to actually having pain right like oh this hurts i'm like dude right cool let's see what happens after a deload and usually if they they have a deload and if they are like they're having some pain i just like maybe drop the absolute load a little bit more than how i would on a regular deload and they come back to me and like cool i'm good now right or mm. i'm like oh i'm feeling a lot of pain now they say oh how many hours did you sleep last night four hours cool right 
let's try let's let's try sleeping more on the load. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's rest a little bit better. Oh, I'm good now. You know, I'm like, dude, like I literally didn't do nothing. You know, uh, I said let's try all of this first before you go and spend money doing something else. So that that is in general how I feel. I think a big thing, like I said, is self efficacy, and I do think that most people think that pain is like, oh my gosh, the world is ending because I'm, uh, I'm in pain. You know, right? I do think that pain comes with anything, right? You play sports, you you twist an ankle, like that's way worse than whatever you are doing, you know? But if you're having chronic pain, then it goes beyond my expertise and I usually refer out then. But if it's just an acute thing that tidies itself up, I'm like, cool, right? Perhaps it's not as bad as you think. My, my, my goal is just to help people not to catastrophize things way too much. And I guess impose on themselves like self-limiting beliefs because of like, thinking about pain way, way too frequently, you know, I think there's research out, research out there showing like the more you think about pain, the more likelihood you are. You it's, like a, it's like a paper cut. You get a yeah. paper cut and all of a sudden, like you don't think of it as like, oh, it's not painful. But then when someone tells you, oh, your hand's bleeding, you're like, oh, fuck, I'm in pain. You're like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I think, but it's it's literally a paper cut. Like you're fine. Yeah, there's a lot of this, like, <laughs> I mean, there's placebo as well. And there's like, nocebo a lot of like interesting research on like phantom limbs you know like how people who literally amputate oh, yeah. their arms but they still feel like yeah, pain yeah, on their arms that are actually not there you know like the nervous system is a very complex thing and yeah. i do think that my expertise is beyond that and like say if i can't i just refer out and i usually but most of the time the reason why maybe foam rolling works for you is because it helps you chill chill out a bit you know like you just lie down like a like a potato on top of the foam roller and then you're like, oh, I'm a little bit more relaxed and then your nervous system is a little bit like less jumpy and that cool. I don't feel as much pain. Yeah. You know? Maybe I just more relaxed, you know, yeah. after work and all of that. So and some people, about, like, yeah. some, some people like the feeling of it, you know? It's yeah. like, if you like it, <clears throat> that's like another thing. People are like, oh, oh, he's foam rolling. I'm like, if you want a foam roll, fucking go for it. I couldn't think of anything worse than lying on a piece of pipe on the ground. Like that shit hurts, but some people like that feeling. So yeah. And it, I guess it, I guess it comes it. back all the way to like that initial start of the pot start of the podcast, right? We talk about buy-in, and I think if people have this preconception of like form rolling is going to increase my performance by a hundred percent, and I'm not going to care what the research tells yeah. me because I know that incre- I'm like okay, I like, and I tell this to everyone, like I am not going to go and form roll, but if you think and you feel that it's going to help you put 20 kilos on your squat. Fucking go for it. <laughs> I don't, I got to care less because all yeah. I really want is if you can get a 20 kilos extra on the squat, if you think the form rolling can, and if that buy-in is so big that you think like, if I take a form roller away and you can't squat, I would much rather give you the form roller. I'm just going to suck it up. And you know, like you're yeah. just going to hit PBs every day. I'm like, cool. Just do what you need to do. <laughs> I mean, you know, in a powerlifting sense, our goal is to get people stronger. If it gets them stronger, then you've got to have it in there. It's like, like I yeah. said, being a, having some humility about it. Um, only uh, yeah, water, think... water approved strength, though. Only approved only, by water. Oh, yeah. Only water. Uh, other than that, we can't, we can't. So thank God. Like, So if you really want powerlifting to stop from rolling, just get water to bend it. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it could be. You never know it is that yeah. effective. But like, you know, like going off what you you said Sean like if you get a new client and they're like oh you know like you maybe you talk about their warm-up protocol and they're like yeah I'll foam roll for 20 minutes like you're not the first thing you say to a client like even me like I'm I am against it but I don't like like to preach yeah. that too much I'll say like 
I'll say, you know, I'm not going to say this. Say like, hey, can you do ten? Like, don't, don't, don't do it. You do less. But I'm not, yeah. <laughs> the first thing I'm going to not going to say to someone is yeah, like, exactly. oh, take what I take, know, take something out just because I don't like it and I don't. Yeah, well, I'm going to be like, oh, well, you know, research suggests that it's actually a placebo-like effect, and you could get the same thing from just lying on the ground without the foam roll. I'm not going to say that. I'm not a fucking dickhead. Like, if someone likes it, like, I'm just going to ignore it and I'm just going to be like, cool, yeah. good on you, go for it. Um, mm. You know, this maybe is, um, and once, maybe once we establish a relationship and, and there's further down the line, and then, then maybe we yeah. can have a yarn about it. But, like, you know, it, it, you work with enough people you, you and, you know, you, you coach enough know. people, you know that you shouldn't do shit like that. Like, yeah. it's... Don't be stupid. You know, like, yeah, don't, don't, don't. Like, you don't, you don't become a successful coach by saying stuff like that to people. Yeah. And that's a really good segue to some quick fire questions that we generally do uh, on this podcast. Well, I say we generally do, but we've got a couple here and that's a very good segue uh, for you, Jason. So the way that we want to do these quick fires is basically we don't want you to, uh, unlike you, we want it to be short, sharp and sweet. You don't want me rambling? No, no rambling. That's that's the whole point. Damn, so. Bro. Um, the first qu- couple, well, two two main questions came through, and these are all very related. So I just compiled them into two major ones because we're running short on time, which is fine. Um, fuck, Mary, kill, squat, university, a foam roller, or a lifter that doesn't crop their videos. <laughs> They're so hot. <laughs> so what is it? Fuck, Mary, kill, squat, squat uni. uni. A foam roller, foam roller. Or a lifter that doesn't crop their videos. Well, I would marry the foam roller because Ooh. it's because it's a unanimous object, right? True. So you can live with it forever without it giving you too much grief. Okay, I would. Oh God, I'd, I'd have to kill. I'd have to kill squat. You sorry, that guy adds nothing to the fitness industry. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I'm not even afraid to say that. And I would marry the person that doesn't crop their videos and be super disappointed in myself. Mm. Next question. 10 words or less. Why do you hate hook grip? Oh, 10 words or less, Jason. (laughs) Uh, I'm just going to give you one word. How about that? Variability. Oh, well, there we go. Those two big questions. Um, all right. And to add, and it's not stronger than mixed script. <laughs> yeah, you're, Shit, you're, I just used all my words. Yeah, you're, you're lucky it's at the end of the episode, so I can kind of like fight back. But nah. usually, <laughs> when we like we end the episode, uh, we we talked a lot today about like mindset, you know, like coaching programming i think but i think the crux of the matter is kind of like challenging belief self-efficacy so if we take it all back to square one right what mindset do you think a lifter can adopt that you think would benefit his or her performance in powerlifting so yeah if you take it all back to square one what would your answer be and after that give yourself a, a plug on where people can find you and stuff like that and your answer cannot be hire yourself as a coach because that is already obvious, right? So that's the obvious answer. Let's give you something a little bit <laughs> yeah, less obvious. I mean. Yeah. So I think, I think if everyone trusted their bodies a little bit more, I think actually kind of what you said, Kedrick, is really important, not catastrophizing anything. 
Like if, if you cannot catastrophize, I think you are in for a fucking awesome powerlifting career. I think the people that do this sport really well have a very even mindset. They don't get too far ahead of themselves when they have a bad session. They don't get too far ahead of themselves when something hurts. And they do a very good job of just kind of trucking all along no matter what. Um, there's a lot of people that a bad prep, a bad session, you know, a, a, a pain here or there, like it throws off their training, derails them for months on end. I think if you can take a bit more of a even mindset and just kind of not catastrophize, I think, um, I think that would benefit a lot of people. And I think that's probably something you can actually extrapolate into other things outside of powerlifting. Right. So let the listeners know where they can find you. Well, you can find me on Instagram, Jason V Clark underscore, I think PPS. Um, I think it is. I don't know. I'll plug it in the show notes yeah, somewhere. Something like that. But uh, that's probably where most people contact me and you can watch some, as Kedrick's already pointed out, very mediocre lifting. Um, but also come check us out at North Shore Barbell at 65 View Road, Road Wirel, and we have a website, northshorebarbell.co.nz, where you can inquire if you want to join up. So join up and come hang out because I can guarantee you that's the best place to do powerlifting on the North Shore. All right. Thank you very much for the time. And it's an honor to have you on our podcast. Always. So for all the listeners out there that if you like this, share, subscribe, you know, uh, give a thumbs up wherever, on whatever platform you are. And yeah, thank you once again, Jason, for your time. Hope to have you back maybe uh, sometime in the future for another yarn and more rambles. <laughs> Cheers, boys. Appreciate it. Thank you.